friends, Life as an Observer is back. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm going to do a, over the next couple of months, we're going to go through a unveiling of the Yoga Sutras. Now, the word yoga, don't let that turn you off. This has nothing to do with the asana practice, really, other than um, one, one week we may cover that just a little bit. This is more about the philosophy and the spiritual side of yoga. And I really want to cover this. I've been wanting to do this. And I covered in my yoga teacher training. So I'm really hoping you'll, you'll come along with me for this. We'll start with just kind of a, a brief introduction today of Patanjali in his book, The Yoga Sutras, and softly cover the, the eight limbs of yoga just as an overview and jump into ahimsa. But before we do that, I want to talk about some of the things that are happening, I guess, in my world. And I, I want you to follow along if you can. They have a lot of things happening. So as this podcast goes out, you may be able to join it. In February, I have have a few things coming up. And we have a, a class on, oh, I can't even, the, the Breath Source app. We just changed the name. So it's rebranding to the Source app. And it will be, if you to, to get more information, I'll put it in the, in the the show notes here. But it's a morning class, at least where I'm at. And I'm going to be teaching something called Breath as Medicine, which is a manifesting and breathwork class. So you can get on there and and join me for that. I have just released a bunch of new tracks, including some ice bathing videos. So you just download the Breath Source app and, you know, start using it. Get your very own access to the, some of the best and most knowledgeable breath masters on the planet. And I don't know where we're at now. It's 30 something breath masters on there. I think maybe even more now with our recent release or upcoming release to the Source Latino, which will be our Latin American version of the app. So that's coming up on February the 19th. Now, I do have weekly live classes I'm doing on Insight Timer, and I've released a few new tracks on there, including one for overcoming PTSD. And another, which is an NSDR or non-sleep deep rest, which is a meditation, something I do almost daily. So I'm interested to share that with you. This year, we're doing another teacher training for language of breath, and that's happening in Tennessee this year. That cohort is now full, but you can join the online online course. So it's a six-week course, and then we'll get you ready for 2025 teacher training. If you want to learn to become a breath master, Come on over to the language of breath. I will put a link in the show notes for you to be able to sign up for that using my code and a discount. So I have a discount for you to be able to join that and to be able to start learning more about the science and philosophy of breath work, not just the techniques, because that's a very small piece of it. I have a couple things coming up. I'm, I'm one of them I'm going to withhold for right now because I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing it or not in March. I haven't got confirmation of it yet. However, the Zion Yoga Fest is happening in May, May 30th. So if you want to come out to my homeland here in southern Utah, I'll be teaching with my friend DJ Taz Rashid, doing our sound off experience with breathwork and yoga. And I'll be teaching some other things at that, including a sound bath in the, the late in the festival on Sunday and doing some other intention settings uh, early in the practice. Also, we have Yin on Fire Festival, which is happening in September, and that's happening in Cedar City. Yin on Fire is September 19th through 22nd. So if you want to come to that, I can tell you I can't release a lot of this 
but there are some pretty nice performers going to be performing. I'll be teaching at it, some breath work and speaking on stage. Lots, lots of people coming to that one. I'm really excited for it. We're doing some building and we're going to be doing some art there. It is going to be, this is the second year, right? And I think eventually it will be the largest wellness festival in the country, if not the world, as we build it and, and grow with it. In addition to that, boy, I could put a whole bunch of other things. I've been working on these sandstone coasters called Santosha Stone. You can follow us on Instagram if you like. We have an Etsy shop, which I will drop the link on. Really special to me. Came across this piece of property that has a mine on it, and we're harvesting the sandstone. It's already been left by the old miners, so we're not cutting anything else out. It's just already uh, laying on the ground in big uh, cores, and we are turning him into sandstone coasters. So you can have a little piece of Santosha, which we'll be talking about in the Eight Limbs of Yoga. What is Santosha? Well, it means contentment. But you can have a piece of those if you like. Also, just as always, my books are, are in Amazon, my breathwork and psychedelic journey books, including my children's book, The SS Meditation Goes to the Moon. I'll be releasing another one very, very soon, which is going to be the version where we go to Mars. And these are children's mindfulness books and breath work books. So if you like that kind of thing, or you want to introduce your kids to that, I will leave the links to my books as well. Um, I think that's about it for announcements. Let's jump right in to the eight limbs of yoga. Or the yoga sutras, I guess is a better way to say that. The yoga sutras from Sri Patanjali. Welcome to Life as an Observer. Today we're going to continue our exploration of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali by moving into the second yama. And this one is called Satya. Now, this one, pretty straightforward if we were not going to take a deep dive, meaning truthfulness. I want to read to you what Patanjali says about truthfulness. When, when examining truthfulness, again, we need to consider the subtle implications. Truthful in all ways. Truthfulness should be observed in thought, word, and deed. Now, this is, takes it a, quite a bit deeper, doesn't it? If we have honesty, integrity in our word, wonderful. But what does it mean to have truth in thought, word, and deed? And this has to do with how we communicate. But also, I think there's a subtle implication to go back to our previous yama of ahimsa, the compassion of nonviolence keeps truthfulness from being a personal weapon. And in today's podcast, we'll kind of explore what that means to not cause harm while telling the truth or to maybe not be as truthful, but to not cause harm. So it goes quite a bit deeper than that. I want to move into the couple books we'll be using today and to explore this. And just kind of hear what others have to say about but truthfulness. As explained in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, this is the second pada and the 30th sutra with about thought, word, and deed. And we have to consider the ideas or the subtle implications of does truth cause harm? Now, how we can tell if we're doing harm or just causing temporary discomfort? Well, first we need to discriminate between the two. Discomfort indicates struggle of the individual and to do harm is to destroy or to make something not functioning. We know there are times when words can cause pain, but the intent 
ultimately brings uh, maybe benefit. So the opposite is also true, where there are times when people use nice words in order to deceive others. There may be their behavior may feel good, but it could harm later. Very interesting. Very interesting to think. Well, you know, I'm telling the truth, but I'm also kind of bending the truth. You know, I'm not. I'm not actually being all that kind. There's a book that I like to to bring into to play here, and it's a book called The Yamas and the Niyamas, and it's it's by a woman named Deborah Adele, and I really enjoy some of her explorations of this. If I go to her explanation, she brings up a quote by by Carl Jung and says, "A lie would make no sense unless the truth was felt to be undangerous." Well, why do we lie? We are afraid to hurt someone's feelings, or afraid if we told the truth. We would not be liked or admired anymore. I have a friend who says, I pick the right size box to put myself in, wrap it up in pretty paper and a bow, and then present myself to other pe- other persons. I have another friend who states, I always show up differently with different people. My biggest fear is everyone I know will be in the same room at the same time, and I won't know who to be. Now, I don't know if any of you have been through this, but I certainly have, where we, we accept one role, whether it be a teacher, whether it be the healer, whether it be the follower, whether it be the compassionate person, whether it be the lover, whether it be the fighter. And as we're in different rooms, or sorry, with, in, with different people in the room, we may act differently, maybe even talk differently. And what is our truth here? You know, I, I think that our truth is identified by maybe our morals and our values. Who are we trying to be? And are we putting on this facade or mask of our own truth? I remember Ram Das talked about this, and he said that, that we need to become nobody before we can come become somebody. You know, he's like, we can put on these nice masks of who we think we are, which is our personality, and I'll believe who you think you are if you'll believe who I think I am, and we'll have this dance, if we will, trying to believe each other and what we think is truth. Well, truth is a little bit fluid. It's, well, it's a lot fluid, actually. If we were to, to kind of look at that, it's not a hard and rigid thing. We have to look at the fluidity of truth. And in this same publication by Deborah Adele, she says that truth rarely seems to ask the easier choice of us. In the moment-to-moment details of our daily living, truth asks us to pay attention and to act correctly the first time. So if we act correctly the first time, then our truth should never be wavering. We're not going to put on a facade. We're not going to be somebody different. We're not going to change who we are. But we also need to go a little bit deeper than this. The truth is fluid, but the compassion of being ahimsa or nonviolent keeps truthfulness from becoming a weapon. So we show up who we are authentically, and we don't allow truth to become a weapon A good example of this is telling somebody that they look horrible in the clothing they're wearing or you hate their haircut. Whether you like it or not, that became a non-compassionate act. Now, this doesn't mean to write out lie, but it means that maybe we can think before talking. We can respond rather than react. I, I have a really good phrase or sentence that I like to say when I don't always agree with somebody but I don't necessarily want to cause a little bit of a disturbance or even an argument. And when someone wants to believe they are right on their stance, their opinion, and whatever it is that they're, they're you know, pushing, whatever agenda they're pushing, I say, that's interesting. 
I've never looked at it like that before. And this may be something you can use with your partner, with somebody at work. It doesn't mean that you're agreeing with them. You just simply say, that's an interesting analogy. I've never looked at it like that before. Thus stating, you're admitting that there's something different about their opinion, and yet you're not necessarily agreeing with it. You're considering it regardless of the outcome. Now, the fluidity of truth also requires that we kind of clean this lens and periodically get new glasses, right? We have to, seeing through our limited experience and what we believe and whether we're aware of that belief or not really informs the choices that we make. To be a bold person of truth is to constantly look for what we're not seeing and to expose ourselves to different views other than the ones that we hold sacred. Is it too much to ask to say that maybe some of the values that you brought into your life are not necessarily truth to others? And by being fluid, what we're doing is we're expanding the possibilities that your truth may not be someone else's truth. And just because it's your truth doesn't necessarily make it everyone's truth. It all goes back to ahimsa and being compassionate and saying, ah, you have a different belief than I do, different morals, and your truth is different than mine. A really good example of that is in the state of Utah, where I live, the use of cannabis is a medical prescription. It is not a recreational right to go in and purchase cannabis. So there is still a little bit of a stigma around those who use cannabis as medicine or even as recreation. Those who really need it for conditions, which they've been prescribed, will then tell you, well, this is what it's for, and maybe they won't tell you, but there is almost something still looking. Even though I may have a medical card, you are looked at by some as using drugs. You're still looked at as a user of an illegal substance. And that is a differing opinion between the two people. Those who are carrying a medical card say, well, this is a prescription just like any other prescription. And those who see you smoking your prescription would then say you are, you know, maybe maybe even associate a label, pothead or a hippie or whatever they want to call you. Very interesting. I I, I love some of the words about Carl Jung about the fluidity of truth. And I'm going to offer another one here that he understood this fluidity when he made a statement that what is true at one time for us at some point no longer serves us and eventually becomes a lie. He understood that truth changes over time. And what was true when we were two years old is no longer true or even relevant at 17. Interesting, right? Where, for instance, maybe you spend your days drawing, coloring, you know, and that's what you're you're doing when you're two years old. And that's just, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that nice? And then here you are maybe at, you know, in your 20s, spending your days painting, coloring, drawing, and that becomes your income. You're an artist. The value in which you doing the same thing has just increased. And, you know, if you were told as a child that you're wasting your time, you're just sitting around coloring you know, can, you know, whatever the hurtful feelings that may have come into place are no longer valid. They're no longer the same place. They're, they're differing opinions because now it becomes your income. I, I like to play with rocks. I always have as a kid and we should always bring them home, stack them up, hide them in my room, put them in a drawer. I just, I love, always love rocks, crystals, shiny things. 
And, you know, as a as a child, it was like, oh, that's cute. You have rocks. As an adult trying to make it in the world, you don't want to talk to people about how you, you play with rocks. And and now one of my, my side hustles is we have this coaster company. I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. But basically, we got a, a hold of a bunch of uh, sandstone cores on, a, on our property, and we're turning them into coasters. So here I am playing with rocks, but because we have an Etsy shop and we sell them in stores, it's no longer a waste of time collecting rocks. It's now a source of income. And that changes from time to time, just as Carl Jung described. I'd like to kind of conclude here with some of the words from, from Mahatmaji, Mahatma Gandhi. And one of the things that amazed me a lot when I first read his biography was the statement that he made. And I would have assumed that he was talking about ahimsa, about nonviolence and his peaceful march. If you're not familiar with Mahatma Gandhi, please go research him. He's one of my all-time favorite saints of, of India, and especially how he interacted with, I guess, one of my one of my favorite teachers, Paramahansa Yogananda, and how they interacted with each other and met each other later in life. But I would have, I would have expected him to talk about nonviolence and almost everything that he said, but he didn't in this particular quote. He said truth. To, to this statement, he said that poor colonized country united in nonviolence and gaining its freedom, a dominant country brought to his knees. This arguably was the greatest nonviolent revolution in history and because of one man's experiment with truth. And what he said was, he said that his life is being an experiment in truth. I want to make sure I said this right, so I looked it up here. He said that his life was an experiment in truth. And I'm always so familiar with him talking about my life as my message and about being a peaceful warrior. But really, when he, when he in the autobiography, he said his life was an experiment with truth with Satya. And I forget what he actually called them. Maybe you guys can put it in the comments or send me a message about it. But Mahatma Gandhi had 11 principles that he, I guess, required his followers or his his students to participate in. And the first five of them were the Yamas. There were some other ones that he added, but you know, he went through Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, Brahmacharya, and he went through all of them to in a parigraha, and he went through all of them, and then he added some other ones to make eleven principles. But satya, being the second of the yamas, was one of the most important on this path to truth. Now, as we close today, I want you to maybe think about what truth means to you, and it could be as simple as saying there was a mistake on my receipt, I was charged too little. Truth could also be, you know, even stealing. I, you know, well, I guess we'll get into a stay about stealing ideas. But is there a truthfulness in giving credit to someone else's ideas? And I guess again, it goes back to: is it harming? Is it compassionate? And does the end justify the means? But in satya, with this truthfulness, does it do harm, or does the lie do harm? Does the truth do harm? Does the lie do, do not do harm? And we have to consider those things in thought, word, and deed also. Truthfulness is about how we carry ourselves and living our lives in a truthful manner. I don't mean this in the way of just speaking truth, but expressing what we believe deep down to be our truth. So to watch something go, un, I, I guess, uh, unlabeled in front of you when you don't believe it to be part of your truth. This could be where there may be a tyrant 
someone who is pushing their agenda upon you and you don't stand up for yourself or others. Truthfulness could also be just simply being accurate with how you interact at work with your employer, clocking out on time, that just being just being truthful on how you carry yourself. And I can assure you that this will test you because there'll be a lot of times where you'll want to do what causes you less harm. But what if you were to always take a step back when you're confronted with truthful actions or inactions, this karma, and say, does it cause harm to anyone? Not right now, here and now, but could this come back? And I will tell you, it's just like the quote we heard earlier about stepping into a room and not knowing who to be. Which hat should I wear? You could put yourself in a very uncomfortable situation if you don't know what story you're supposed to keep up with. You don't know which line of, of truth or line of lies have you offered. Have you offered to others? And have you, uh, part of me wants to use the word spew because it just seems like it feels good, but spewing this information to others. And when we find ourselves in these virtues, we find ourselves in these virtues, the presence of absence of this falsehood will flow effortlessly. There'll just be no question. Once you start doing it, it will flow effortlessly. And you may have to come back and foster this harmony with peace and nonviolence and love and just kind of saying, well, what makes sense here? But I think it really goes back to what our virtues are, sorry, our tenets of the language of breath. And it's a matter of taking awareness as the first tenant to all positive change. How do I feel if I were to say this? How do I feel if I were to say that? And this is why Many of the great sages and saints, including Mahatma Gandhi, took days or even months or longer of vows of silence. I know Mahatma Gandhi did it one day a week. I don't remember. I think it was Mondays. And he would take this time of silence to really sit with what is truth, what is true to me. And he would still write things on a board, but he wouldn't speak, thus giving time between what is thought and what is felt. How often do we sit and say, I can sit with what I'm thinking I can sit with what I'm feeling and come to a conclusion of what is satya or truthfulness to me. Thanks for joining today on today's Life as an Observer. We'll get into some of the other yamas on the next episode. Thanks for joining and learning a little bit about Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and just in a very minute and very small form of this, we can certainly go quite a bit deeper. I'd love to hear your comments and maybe some of the yamas, niyamas, or some of the other spiritual um, speakers from other um, areas of the world and other books. I would love to hear how they compare to what we're learning with Patanjali's Yoga Sutras in today's episode with Satya. Thanks for joining. Talk to you soon.